Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future is Bilingual podcast. My name is Heather, and today I'm bringing you an interview with someone I've been following on Instagram for a very long time, despite having no knowledge of the languages she's going to talk to us about, but I just find her work so inspiring. So Anita, please tell us about yourself. Oh, Heather, thank you for inviting me to be part of your podcast today. And um, usually I've also been following the features bilingual. We just have so much in common in our yeah. approach and our our need to advocate for exactly. bilingualism. So I, I'm so glad that we're able to share this platform mm -hmm. today. So everyone, my name is Anita um, Kulangara Sakuraya. You may not be able to tell um, where I'm from, or what languages I speak just from my name, mm -hmm. unless you're a very certain part uh, from a very small part of India. Um, so my background is I am born and raised in America, in the United States, and my family immigrated from South India from a state called Kerala. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about India, you'll know that it is a very, very linguistically diverse and every state speaks a different language. Mm -hmm. um, so most Indians, especially the diaspora living abroad, will speak um, at least three to four languages, because that's just part of life. Mm -hmm. um, so at home, I speak, obviously we speak English with our kids. I have two kids in elementary school mm -hmm. and my husband is from Mumbai. Okay. He speaks seven languages. I speak about four um, to five languages, depending mm -hmm. on the <laughs> level of fluency as me. Um, but the only language we had in common was English. And oh, okay. we were determined to raise our kids um, to be bilingual and to appreciate our languages. Uh, so that's why we decided to focus in on Tamil. And Tamil is a language that is spoken not just in South India in the state of Tamil Nadu, but there's a large Tamilian diaspora mm -hmm. spread out through Australia, Canada, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, um, of course, Northern Sri Lanka. And my heritage language is called Malayalam. Mm -hmm. And the claim to fame for Malayalam is that it is a palindrome, which means you can read it backwards and forwards. Right. <laughs> it's the same spelling. It's got such a beautiful script. I've only discovered it, you know, since being having this this podcast and being on Instagram and, you know, seeing people talk about it. And um, yeah, I mean, I just there's such diversity in in India, you know, of itself, but I just the the languages, they look so beautiful, you know, and I think most people maybe think India Hindi, that's maybe as far as they know, like they speak English and they speak Hindi, but yeah, Malayam is like very specific to Kerala, right? It's only that part of India. Right. They also speak in the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, um, which mm -hmm. is the islands off to the, the west of India. Um, I believe there may be some speakers in the Maldives, but it is a, a very small group. Mm -hmm. um, small group means still it's 40 million people. <laughs> you know, given that the population of India, um, right. but it is one of all our languages of India. It's still, um, so India has. So that's not small, but that's, I mean, no, that's, I think Poland's like 44 million and Polish yeah. is like this big recognized language. Like, oh, you know, it's a European language. It's a big recognized language. And now we're saying, oh, Malayalam is such a small Indian language. Well, no, compared to Hindi, yes. But compared, <laughs> compared to what? To other, yeah. Compared wow. to what? Exactly. Wow. Um, you know, so I was saying in 
Ethiopia, it is two official languages, which is Hindi and English. Um, and those are the languages of the, the federal, the central government. But each state, um, there are actually 22 official recognized languages in India. Beyond that, there's thousands of dialects. So mm -hmm. Even my own language of Malayalam, my heritage language, when I started out with Basha kids, and I'll mm -hmm. tell you what that means in a minute, um, but when I started out, I didn't even realize the diversity of Malayalam itself until I started interacting with people on Instagram and mm -hmm. everyone kept telling me what I was posting was wrong. <laughs> this, is the only this is the only word I've ever known. For example, for grandmother, mm -hmm. the word is, um, which is what my, my part of Kerala uh, that we say. But the the larger the word that most people know is mutashi, and it comes down to what part of Kerala are you from? Literally, like what district? Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, what is your religion? Because there's different words for family members depending if you um, are Muslim, if you are Hindu, or if you're Christian. Mm -hmm. And so my family, we are that two percent of India that's Christian, mm. and so. Honestly, that's all the only word I knew. So it was even starting Basha Kids and being on Instagram was such an eye opener. I've wow. learned so much in the last four years. Um, mm -hmm. And it's so exciting. You know, I appreciate the language so much more. So you grew up speaking. Your parents always spoke Malayalam to you guys because you, you grew up on your whole well, here, childhood was here in the U.S. We're in the U.S. And I will mm -hmm. tell you, just like any children of immigrants, right? What happens? It, and especially when you move to a, a country that is monolingual, mm -hmm. overwhelmingly monolingual, and kind of your ticket out of your country was to speak good English, right? You're really afraid. I'm, and I'm putting myself in that, sh the shoes of those who immigrate. Um, you're, you want to give your kids the best, and you're really afraid of them having challenges. And if that, if they don't speak English well enough, um, that's going to impede their progress and their success in life. And mm -hmm. for my family, also, my mother always told me I spoke Malayalam fluently until the age of five. Mm -hmm. And what happened to me at five, a couple things. One, we moved away from New York, where I was born, which has a huge, not just Indian population, but such a large Malay Malayali, that's how we call our people, Malayali mm -hmm. population. You could go to church you could just hang out with malayali people all day mm -hmm. you know and they would have schools well then i moved to south florida oh and there were not a lot of indians there are not a lot of desis and not a lot of malayali people mm -hmm. um that we could form a church or you know have classes and such um and of course at age five we all go to school and so all all I heard was English all day and you know my parents couldn't fight that battle of no, I don't want to speak this language anymore. Now I'm only going to speak English because, you know, all the things that kids say, yep. right? Nobody else knows this language. Everyone's making fun of me. Um, this is not a real language. Literally people will say that. And then oh. you've got this added challenge of administrators and teachers, people in authority, figures of authority telling mm -hmm. immigrant parents, maybe you should just focus on one language. Oh, yeah. Maybe you should stop speaking your language at home um, because it's going to be confusing. These people, uh, you know, these authority oh. figures hold a lot of sway 
mm-hmm. for parents, you know, imagine, you, you know, when you put your kid in kindergarten for the first time, that mm-hmm. vulnerability that you feel yeah. and that these people must know what they're talking about. And then on top of that, being an immigrant and like, okay, well, I have to take their word for it. Yep. You're doing everything you not- can to fit in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're doing and- everything you can to fit in. I mean, you're you talking, you're talking, you know, a couple of decades ago, but this is still happening. I've seen people post that doctors are still saying you should really focus just on English. <laughs> you're going to confuse that all these myths are still perpetuated by these people. Like you said, authority figures, principals, doctors, right. you know, you name it. Or even the daycare workers, mm-hmm. you know, um, school psychologists, teachers, People who don't have a grounding in how language is acquired, mm. right? They don't actually have, I would say, go talk to a speech language pathologist. That's why I right. um, follow so many of them because mm-hmm. they literally how language is acquired and how it is passed and how it is developed. But when you have someone who is saying things to you that it's not grounded in science, how would you know unless you took the time and effort to right. find that out? And then- being immigrant parents, what are you doing? I, as I say, you're doing the immigrant hustle. You're probably working two jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're yeah, you don't have time. Back. You're not thinking who about that. No. But yeah, I, I, time? I do think there's like a mixed message nowadays because um, similar to you, my kids are that, you know, young mm-hmm. school age. So my son is just in kindergarten this year. My daughter's still in a daycare because she's four, but they're teaching Spanish. Like they're counting to 10. They've got Spanish all over her classroom, you know, puerta, like door, you know, they've got like Spanish words all over yet. There's this like double-edged sword of like, we're going to introduce Spanish. And I know many daycares promote, like they sell that as like, we also do a little Spanish integration, but then they're telling parents of, let's say, quote unquote, you know, listeners can't see me doing these air quotes, lesser important languages, not English, Spanish, French, right? Oh, you don't, don't speak that language to, you know, oh, your kids don't need that dialect, your kids, right? Like you should really focus on Spanish or English. So there's this like, it's very hypocritical to say like, don't speak your language, but we're going to do this little extra song in Spanish every morning. Like, wait, what? (laughs) So you're not confusing them, but I'm confusing. What? (laughs) You can't, you can't do one and then tell me that I can't do that at home. Like, Exactly. And the, the truth is, if they were truly going to be bilingual, they wouldn't just sing a couple songs and count to 10. <laughs> exactly. They would literally conduct their business in Spanish. And so, exactly. you know, my and there are schools are, that do that. You pay a lot of money, yes. but there are those bilingual, like, you know, full day immersion or, you know, and then they, they kind of go to like 75 and then 50, you know, there's this whole bilingual schooling is a whole separate thing but these schools that are just normal daycares that just throw a couple Spanish words you know with pictures all over the room and say we do some Spanish integration (laughs) I'm not like knocking like of course that's a good step in the right direction but then they need to stop saying don't speak your home language right like we need to fully embrace that that languages are great we can mix them and put them all over you know introduce them or (laughs) we we can't do both we can't say yes to this one but no to yours so yeah, it's my little spiel. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't just pretend. You can't just placate with just a few words. And we know what it takes to raise yeah. truly people kids. 
Um, you know, it is about immersion. And I would encourage anyone, I I participate on a few Facebook groups where mm -hmm. parents are always writing in about questions. And, um, you know, one example I had recently was a lady wrote in about, you know, her kid is 10 months old and she's looking at daycares. And the one daycare that she looked at said, oh, well, we're going to you know, you may want to start focusing on English because she's only spoke to this baby in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Well, how will she deal with um, us, you know, speaking to her in English? And I was like, hey, first of all, when you want to raise young children, you have to front load that language. Right. Front loading means speak as much as you can when right. they're little because English is going to come. You live in the US, the UK, exactly. Australia, nothing is going to stop English yeah. from coming. Yeah. Um, and children absolutely can learn two languages at the same time. That is the beauty of child, you know, baby brains and child brains. Right. It's something that as adults, we can't do that. Right. And if we looked at India, if we knew anything more, you know, and actually looked at people who live in India, like learning four or five, just, it's just normal. That's just part of everyday life because you need one in this situation and a different one in this situation. If people actually like zoomed in, and looked at that mm -hmm. level, they would be like, oh, wow, that's super normal. It's just that we don't do that here. And we're so far removed. We have no idea like how people live. Like that's just so normal. Right. <laughs> and that's not just India. That's, you know, many countries around the world. It's oh. the, the, the norm is to be multilingual, but somehow the yes. world focuses on monolingual countries thinking we're the norm and like, oh, well, <laughs> Western Europe and US and Canada and Australia that's the norm. No, that's actually the minority and not the norm. Yeah, no, you know, what's interesting is um, I've done a few talks and presentations just about that fact and that it's, that's why it's so good to get out of the United States or out of your model lingual country and see the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. um, the statistics, I think the last time I checked, it's about 21% of the United States is bilingual. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. So that 79% is not. So right. if you are in a place overwhelmingly majority, it's odd to speak another language. Well, of course you're going to feel uncomfortable. Go to Europe, right? Mm -hmm. Go to Africa, yeah. go to India. Oh my gosh, the numbers completely change. I think uh, last I looked at Europe, it was like 56% of Europe is multilingual, mm -hmm. not just bilingual, more than one. The norm. Yeah. And the fact is the monolingual countries are the outliers. Right. not the multilingual people. And so we've got to change our thinking and mindset about that. Mm -hmm. And I was going to describe schools in India. In general, what you will have is both um, a bilingual schools. So you will take classes in Hindi, you will take classes in English, and you will mm -hmm. take classes in your regional language. Mm -hmm. So that's three languages um, mm -hmm. through you know, primary school all the way up to graduation. Um, and that is the norm. Of course, you know, Heather, we have to bring in the question of class. This exactly. is not accessible to everyone, right? right? Um, you know, we know that the upper classes and middle class have access to more language and education than lower class. So there yeah. are certainly going to be groups of people in these multilingual countries who only know their one language because right. they never leave or they Because are. maybe they couldn't um, go to school. They had to work from a young age, you know, there's so many reasons, but yeah, it is definitely tied to education and class. Yeah, I want to throw that out there as a caveat. Um, mm -hmm. And I focus primarily my work 
with Basha Kit, it's focused on the diaspora. So those who have left India and are, you know, making their way in another country and then grappling with this question of how do I keep my kids in touch with their culture and language? Mm. And the name Basha Kids, Basha means language. It okay. means language in like almost every language in India. So that's oh, how I came up with, nice. with the name, you know, and I've been told to, I've been told by native Hindi speakers, I'm not saying it properly. Okay. Uh, it's Pasha, right? Okay. There's a little bit more aspiration right. on it. So if, um, uh, I mean, listeners will probably see it in the title, but yeah, B-H, right? So that's not a sound. B-H-A. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this, exactly, Heather. This <laughs> idea of inspiration, mm. okay, that is not English. And so, of course, here I am, a middle-aged mom. I've never been told or learned how to aspirate certain words. Mm. So, of course, I, I can't say even my own company name right. <laughs> but I think that's a beautiful learning lesson. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to work with parents on is you know, you know, and you have definitely seen this where parents are like, oh, my kid can't say anything right. My kid won't use proper mm-hmm. grammar and they can't get the pronunciation. And we're always having fights about that. And really okay. for the kid, they'll say, my parents are always criticizing me. Right. I can never say anything. Right. So and they're going to stop. They're, they're, mm-hmm. yeah. Everyone gets frustrated. Everyone yeah. gets frustrated. Everyone gives up. But my point is, you know, when you are born and raised in India, you cannot take that mindset and then attach it to your children. Your children are going through a vastly different experiences. They, they're gonna have that hyphenated identity. They're both of Indian or South Asian descent and American, British, Australian, Canadian, mm-hmm. right? That's a very different type of childhood than what you grew up with. First acknowledge that, right. then acknowledge they don't even know the sounds they have to make. They don't know the difference between these sounds. They can't differentiate when they listen. And yes, listeners can't see me. I'm pointing to my ear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in comprehension, there are certain sounds um, that are made in the South Indian languages, and they're called Dravidian-based languages. Mm-hmm. Um, just called a retroflex sound. Yeah. So it's where you basically bake take your tongue, you either hit the roof of your mouth or your tongue is moving backwards. Yeah. I could not yeah. hear that sound. Yeah, me so neither. Word- that was in a linguistics class. They used a South, I don't know exactly which language it was, but they had us listen to prove the fact that our adult ears couldn't hear sounds we've never, the difference between two sounds that we've never heard before. And to give an example yes. with English, someone who speaks a language with very pure vowels, Spanish, Japanese, where there's just that a, e, o, u, you know, they they can't hear the difference between like, like e and e, because those are very slight. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about in English, like heat or hit can be hard for non, mm-hmm. you know, non-English speakers to hear, or like, you know, the, the R and the L very classic, like Korean and Japanese have a hard time hearing like lit versus writ. Um, or making that. Yeah. So same thing. And I mean, I struggle with Arabic. There's three H's and I literally can't hear the difference between two of them. And I'll like make, I mean, again, listeners can't see me like drawing the letter, but I'll like ask that Arabic, you know, teachers or people I speak with, I'm like, is it this H or is it this H? Because <laughs> like, I can't, <laughs> I can't hear it and I can't make it. So if someone's just talking and I'm not seeing it written, I'm like, which one is it? Because 
it, it'll change the whole word, right? So same with that retroflex. Yeah, and they they literally, I remember them using this, like, what was it like? I don't know. It's very far back. R, so. uh, yes, there <laughs> are, in Hindi, there are four Ts. Oh, in Malayalam, there's three Ls. In Tamil, there's three Rs. There's three Ns. Um, and I had my cousin called me once and said, look, Anita, my daughter, you know, she understands Malayalam, but she doesn't understand when I say, you know, these two words, they differ literally by one letter, yep. right? So it's arike and kalike, and one is to eat and one is to play. I'm like, wow, she really must not know what you're saying to her when you say, right. go play. Like, okay, I'm gonna go. go eat, but go play. she didn't understand why did why her daughter couldn't get it mm -hmm. and so I made her a set of flashcards where I just said look here are the images and now we're going to write the word in Malayalam mm -hmm. and the only way to go back and understand the difference is exactly what you did Heather with Arabic is show me the age well I said let me show <laughs> you the one? letter yeah which one it is and so a lot of people too when you have languages that have different scripts they are like, oh, I don't want to learn literacy. I don't want, I just want my kid to be conversant. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to, um, you know, the, typically when you start a language class, a South Asian language class, it, they start with vowels. Ah, ah, e, e, ooh, ooh. And they're like, this is useless. Nobody wants to learn. I literally just need to conjugate verbs and tell my mom I'm hungry. Right. <laughs> but I tell people, okay, I get it. I get it. We don't want to start with literacy first, but we also cannot abandon literacy altogether. Because the beauty, mm -hmm. yeah, we can yeah. because yeah. the beauty of these South Asian languages is they are entirely phonetic. Right. That's why they say, "Oh, this, you know, Tamil must have two hundred and forty letters," but that's because in you in um, in English we have C and H. We put them together, we get Chuck. Mm -hmm. Well, in Tamil you will have a C, you will have an H, and you will have a different letter Separate. for Chuck. Because mm -hmm. it is a separate, it's a separate sound. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we exactly. don't think of that in English. But when you, if you study, like I did a minor in linguistics, and um, like the the two words you gave with play and eat, those are minimal mm -hmm. pairs. Just like I said, heat and hit, yes. those are also what we call minimal pairs. They differ by one letter, or what? Sorry, I should say one mm -hmm. sound. Um, and so yeah, language, mm -hmm. you know, has different. Uh, you know, the different scripts have maybe one letter will show a different sound whereas in english we have these like what, the, what do we call them guy chronic or something like with the two letters like ch sh right that really only makes uh, one sound but we write it with two letters so it's english first of all is the most confusing the letters mean nothing because in one word they're pronounced this way in another word they're pronounced this way i mean if we really want to get into it it doesn't english doesn't make it i'm, I'm giving you a High five. I'm giving you a double time here. Okay. I'd say this is Pattas. <laughs> Give me 10. Because I realized, you know, as I started this journey with Basha kids, and, you know, what we do with Basha kids is I create bilingual materials in South Asian languages, mm -hmm. learning materials for children. Um, but I also curate learning materials. So I try to find what are the best resources out there. Mm -hmm. And I started this journey in really 2018. I didn't launch a website or anything until right before the pandemic. Great timing, um, but actually it wasn't that bad because there are so many people are stuck at home with their kids. Online, yeah, um, looking for stuff. <laughs> but as I delve deeper into my methodology of how I'm, I'm writing everything in English. I'm saying you can learn South Asian languages through English, 
I started to learn, wow, English is really hard. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't oh, appreciate I it. Want... Yeah, I only started appreciating it when I was teaching it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Until you delve into, you know, you're, you see your kids do phonics and stuff. Um, but when you understand how to learn different languages, and then you look back at English, I just want to say hats off to everyone who's learned English as a second language, because you really are, you've done something heroic. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense. It has rules, and then it breaks all the rules. It breaks them all. And these, just sometimes you'll like, I'll think of the sentences we're saying, and I'm like, it's really, it's just one word, you know, in Spanish, for example, like, did you see? You could just say that with one piece day and like, you know, I'm so sorry. This is so complicated with the, did you see? And like, you know, but you would say, I saw. So you like, it doesn't even help you to know how to answer because like the question is using did see, then you're saying saw. <laughs> well, English is so high. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you know, what I see for South Asian languages, the, the way to approach it is, you know, don't take that traditional approach. Don't take the curriculum from India or Pakistan or Sri Lanka or Nepal, wherever you're coming from. Don't take that and drop it here because any teacher will tell you, you've got to meet kids where they are and you've got to make it relevant to them. 100%. So even the sentences they use, they won't make sense. But you can at home put in an extra effort. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to put in extra effort. You can't just throw them in a class for an hour a week and expect them to be bilingual. Expect miracles. Language, yeah. <laughs> right? It's a living. We have to use it every day. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say focus on what's different about this language in English so that the kids, that's what are those pain points? Identify the pain points and hone in on them, yeah. right? Don't focus so much on literacy and spelling and you know, focus more on vocabulary. I really believe in the comprehensible input mm -hmm. methodology. Start yeah. with those seven verbs and build the confidence to speak. Yeah. And that this is a life goal. I, I do a couple of parenting webinars um, here and there. And, you know, when parents sign up, they, they dial in. I, I always ask this question about how long do you think it takes to become fluent in a language? Everyone underestimates this. Mm. Everyone thinks it's like, two to five years and I'm like okay put it in terms of you know being a child you know how many hours would they have to put in um I'm like it will really take like 10 to 12 years you can look up the research right you, and you can look at um I go to because I'm here just outside of DC and I used mm -hmm. to work with the state department um you know they have an intensive foreign um language school the foreign service institute yep. Yep. when you're about to be posted overseas you take four to five months of classes you do nothing but live and breathe mm -hmm. that language that you can get to at least an A2 level of that language um to be proficient but they rate the languages based on difficulty. Mm -hmm. right? I've seen these, yep, and, I've seen these categories and levels. Mm -hmm. Right, I, I mean, I think actually, I think Czechoslovakian is the hardest language to learn is what I've heard and what I've seen um, in their data. But our languages, South Asian languages fall about like a level three, you mm -hmm. know, and they will take um, thousands of hours yeah. to get to, um, you know, that A2 level. And Heather, can you, I know your basis is in European languages. Um, mm. Can you explain to people what is A2? A2. And A1? Yeah. So if you're mm -hmm. not familiar with that, um, the European, I forget what they call it, but the references, 
Um, so A1 and A2 are the beginner levels. And so, you know, there's certain things you can do, you know, A1, you're like introducing yourself, talking about yourself. A2, you can talk a little bit more, you know, maybe present tense. I think you start maybe getting into like close future, like I'm going to eat and then maybe a little bit of past. And then that B1, B2 is the next intermediate. I don't know why they do A1, A2, B1, B2, and then C1, C2. But yeah, B1, B2 is where a lot of people get stuck because it's kind of easy to pass and kind of breeze through the beginning stuff. And you're like, oh, great. I introduced myself. I'm this, you know, many years old. And then you kind of, you get to that more intermediate phase and a lot of people plateau. Like it's, it's really hard to get, you know, B1 and then move on to B2, which is much more advanced language. And C1 is like, you're very proficient, right? Like you are, I would say even some native speakers, maybe in the C1 level, like it's not that everybody who's native is a C2. C2 is like superior. Like you are eloquent when you speak you you know you have like very you know you can write really eloquently you can you have a very very high vocabulary it's just not even when you think like I like to think about it that not native not all natives are c2 a lot of natives could be like c1 depending on your education b2 c1 (laughs) so that c2 it's not that like that's the goal that you're going to get there per se um, because it's a very high level and I've seen it as a triangle Again, making hand motions that nobody else can see, but there's this big triangle where it's an upside down triangle. So the bottom of the triangle is like the smallest point. And so this is the one we use when we show our students, because when you're first starting, you can talk about very little, <laughs> right? Me and Arabic, I can say like very little, I can understand very little. And as you move up the triangle, you know, it's a cone. Um, you can talk about more things, your, your abilities get much broader, but it's, it takes so much more language, meaning so much more exposure, so much more time to broaden up that cone and fill up all of that spot where you don't just talk about yourself in present tense. You can talk about past tense and what would happen if this had happened, you know, like that's a very high level of language. You have to be able to to know to do these hypotheticals and what would happen if I did this. Um, so yeah, I like to, th- I like to think of this huge cone where you're just able to talk about so many more topics as you get higher and higher, but yeah, C2, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a nice goal, but man, it's, you can do a lot with B1, B2, C, you know, C1's you a great You can do goal. a lot with A2. Even A2. I mean, literally, you can, yeah, I mean, people don't count yourself out, you know, it's, what do you need to communicate with others and who are you communicating with? What do you need to exactly. enjoy that language, enjoy that culture, um, to mm-hmm. understand the music? I see um, the C2 level as, you know, that completely balanced bilingual, but not only can you read novels in that language, you can write a novel in that exactly. language. Yeah, it's very right? high level. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's interesting. I, I love your your description of that graphic of this um inverted yeah that's not from me I think that's um actful the American Council of Teachers of Foreign Languages I believe they created this cone and I've uh within my company we talk about the research and how many hours um so we teach and again it depends where you're starting from if you're a you know an Arabic learner learning a different language it's completely different than being an English speaker learning another language so Again, all this research is if you're an English speaker trying to learn Spanish, 
right? So the languages we teach, Spanish, French, Italian, they're all like just one level up. You know, they're very close. Mm -hmm. There's cognates, there's the same alphabet. There's all these things that make it easier. And yet, <laughs> even with those languages that, you know, are the easiest ones to learn, it still takes about 750 hours to get proficient. So proficient mm -hmm. being like A2, B1, which can seem a little daunting and can seem a little like, oh, you know, should we even tell people that? Are they going to, are either, are they going to even want to embark on this journey or is it going to scare them? Because our courses maybe give you 50 hours towards mm -hmm. that. Or maybe, you know, if you do a lot more outside of your, you know, the coursework that we're giving you, maybe 75 or something like that for eight or 12 week course. But like, that's a lot, <laughs> right? If we're saying 750 and in three months, you're only getting 50 hours you have right. to do, right? That's where the math comes in where, yeah, it's not just two years. It's not just three years. But I think there's also this misconception because people look at a child Oh, well, my child was speaking, you know, two years old, three years old. They're pretty much fluent by five, right? Native children who've been listening to it constantly 24 hours a day for their entire lives. That's one thing. <laughs> you as an adult spending an hour a week, of course, you're not going to do it in two years, right? I think we have just, we're conflating those issues. We're thinking, oh, well, if they do it in two years, I should do it in two years or one year, okay, but you got to put in a yes. lot of hours. <laughs> That's the reality. Like it's not going to happen in six months. Like YouTube. I 100% agree with you, Heather. I think there's yeah. a lot of misunderstandings about how language is acquired. And mm -hmm. that, as you said, adults conflating research that's been applied to children yeah. or just looking at, just looking at children. Well, why can't I do what they do? I mean, our brains are literally different. And so I encourage people to know the facts and look at the neuroscience behind language learning. I personally feel a lot better and reassured. And there's some guilt associated with language learning, and especially if it's a heritage language. Yes. Um, and that's my my mottos or my tag phrases. The first thing I lead with is always, you know heritage languages are not just academic. Mm -hmm. They are absolutely psychological and they're, they are rooted in shame and longing. And if we don't talk about the emotional aspect of learning your heritage language, and I define a heritage language as the language I inherit from my family. Mm -hmm. I, and I differentiate that from mother tongue because I feel mother tongue um, confers an amount of fluency or some level of fluency. Like I should know this. Right. I might, my mother tongue is both English and Malayalam, mm -hmm. right? How do I decide? But I know um, my heritage language. And when you look at, you know, linguistic studies and, you know, socio um, cultural linguistics, the other aspect of heritage language is not only is it something that is handed down to you, but it's something that is crowded out over time by mm -hmm. the dominant or majority language of the environment you're in. Right. So it actually connotes loss. Mm -hmm. And, and that's when so many, you know, so many children and families grapple with, if I lose this language, does that mean I'm still this person? It's so tied to your identity. identity. Mm -hmm. so, you know, yeah, I, I, you, um, sent me these questions ahead of time. And, you know, one of the questions, you know, what are the languages I learned when I was growing up? Well, I went full bore into Spanish mm -hmm. and I never felt bad about Spanish. 
it was, you know, it was a challenge. It was an academic exercise. And then I said, okay, now I'm going to learn French. Mm-hmm. And I went to one of these international baccalaureate high school programs where you're literally taking classes in French. I had to wow. pass several college exams for French. And I was reading and writing in French. And I loved it. I was almost dreaming in French, you know, mm-hmm. at that point. And even today, you know, when people play a little trick with you, like, what's the word for this? Do you know the first word that comes to mind is French for me before Malayalam or Spanish or mm-hmm. English? I, I suddenly, and I start totally mixing them up. I'll, you know, I'll tell my daughter, I want to say, because we're also working on Spanish at home. Mm-hmm. And like, Il pleut. I'm like, oh, I want to see it's raining in Spanish. Yeah, wrong language. <laughs> you know, it's funny how our brains, um, it's so funny. Us, but yeah. And that's the fun of being multilingual. And I think you just touched on such, such an important topic. And I've had at least a couple heritage, um, I can think of a couple guests that talked about, you know, having a heritage language and you're so right that it implies not growing up in the country where that's the dominant language, right? And which mother tongue doesn't, it doesn't have that connotation, right? Um, So first of all, a mother tongue. I mean, it it carries with it the sense that yes, you master that one the best. But yeah, the heritage language completely has that sense of you've there's loss there. You're you didn't grow up where that is the dominant language, right? So it does kind of fit better with what you you want to express that maybe this isn't my dominant language, but this is something I've inherited. This is part of who I am, and I I just think that um, we don't talk about it enough. There's so much baggage and shame and judgment whereas you know if I don't speak yeah. French or Spanish well okay you know I I learned them in high school or whatever and I, you know I took you know so many people oh I took two years of that and I don't remember a word you know that's a very common thing um, being a language teacher people always say to me oh yeah I did that in high school or it's been ages I can't say anything but gracias <laughs> um, and there's no shame right there's no there's nothing tying them to that language. So whatever, just like me, I took chemistry and I don't remember any formulas. Okay. Cause there's no connection with chemistry being part of who I am, but with a heritage language, it's a whole different story. And you you just, I feel like as someone who doesn't have a heritage language, you can't understand what the person is feeling, what they're going through and, you know, why they don't want to talk about it per se. Um, Because there is so much shame if you haven't, maintained it or even if you have maintained it it's never going to be high enough <laughs> right like you you want to be that perfect unicorn c2 perfect bilingual so if you're, you're not which nobody is you, there's going to be some shame or you, like you said maybe your pronunciation isn't perfect or you go back home and they recognize you as a foreigner and you're here and you're recognized as a foreigner so there's that whole dilemma of never fitting in i say this as if i know <laughs> i don't know but you know, because my other tagline, it's like I pinned them both to the top of my Instagram is that one quote about heritage language or the other one is, you know, when you're Indian American, you're simultaneously both and neither. Right. So here in America, I'm not American enough. And here when I go to India, I'm not Indian enough. Right. And so you have to straddle both worlds and you've got to find a, a way to make peace and sense of that. Mm-hmm. And you can't divorce language from that because it's in everything it's in how we pronounce the foods that we eat our favorite yeah. dishes the names of our relatives mm-hmm. um and there are you know i think if you grow up 
in cities like New York or Houston or Chicago or the Bay Area, you've got a much better chance of holding on to that language. There's so many more resources. The community it, aspect is cradling it a little yeah. bit more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you grow up in Miami, like I did, or Oklahoma or you know other places, it's Some so much small harder. A lot, a lot of people who buy my products, it's interesting. They're actually, you know, in their twenties or thirties, they're like, I actually want to use this to help myself. Yeah. And the I thing was going to say the heritage language journey, it's never ending. Mm-hmm. You never not there. It, there doesn't come a point in time where you want to stop learning or you stop longing for it. I really think everyone you know, unless you've completely diverse yourself from the culture, mm. there's, you're always going to have a, a piece of your heart that's kind of longing or, or not fulfilled. And so for now, I'm I'm learning. And this is the difference between 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, the amount of resources and access we had, it's changed dramatically. Mm. And so we there's YouTube, there's Instagram, there's italki, preplay, um, you know, Duolingo and Rosetta Stone. They've only, only ever focused on Hindi, mm-hmm. right? Which find it to be a detriment to all the diversity, all the linguistic diversity in India. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find materials in other languages, which is, which is what spurred me to create the materials that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I have adults coming to me saying, I'm using this to just teach myself. I'm so happy. Yeah, you know, I always say I'm so happy that I was able to say a sentence or I am using this to teach my non-native speaking spouse. I've got a lot of, oh, I yeah. call them blended families, mixed families um, coming who are like, oh, my, my partner, everything they've tried hasn't worked, but somehow your methodology is clicking for them. That's and great. just the difference is I approach it as you are not a native speaker. So I'm not going to teach you the way they teach native speakers. Right. Mm. And so but happiness and that joy, you, you yeah. can't divorce yourself from it. Oh my gosh, I took I started taking an actual class last year. Um, there's a company called Language Curry. They're based in Delhi, mm. but they focus on all regional languages and they're pretty, they're very professional. They have all kinds of tutors, they have one-on-one classes, they have mm. um group classes, and they have a, an app that goes with it so that you can study. Um I took a class and there was just two other people there, mm-hmm. you know, and we were, our pronunciation, you're like, yeah, this guy's in Philadelphia. <laughs> Here I am in DC. Mm-hmm. And we're laughing, but we shared so much in common, like, oh my gosh, he's like, my mom is going to make fun of me. She's going to say, this is not the way it's said or, uh-huh. you know, but joy that we had in like achieving these milestones of like, oh my God, I said my first sentence. Oh my gosh. It's huge. I, I understood something that I couldn't understand. I even learned, apparently, I remembered or I I had words in my head. I'd been pronouncing them incorrectly my entire life. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine all the aunties and uncles are like, we're just not going to say anything to her. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my teacher corrected me gently, explained. I was like, thank you for mm-hmm. taking the time. And I didn't know. I don't know what I don't know. Right. Um, and yeah. I don't know. And that happens in any, I've, that happened to me learning Polish that, you know, my, my ex didn't want to correct me. So for six months I was using the wrong grammar and like, I don't even know how it finally, somebody corrected it. And I was like, what? (laughs) It's like almost, (laughs) it's fossilized at that point. Like I've been saying it 
yeah. you know, only six months compared to yours, you know, not even that long, but it was like, once you've said something so many times, it's now it's hard to change. Now I have to really think about it. And then I question, yeah. wait, was it this one or this one? Like even to this day, you know, 15 years later, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Cause they're very like similar endings. And I'm like, wait, which one was it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. It happens. Well, you know what they wrong, you know, wrong practice makes a bad play. Like a, when my kids play piano and I'm like, you know, bad practice equals a bad piano player. If you're literally practicing the wrong notes and you're continually practicing the wrong form or the wrong dynamics, right. you're, how do you untrain yourself? How do you That's, unlearn those? Right. It's harder. And it all comes back down to the simple muscle memory, right? Mm. So even mm-hmm. those we were talking about the sounds that we can hear, the sounds we can't make. That is why starting so young, starting with babies and children makes such a difference because if they can learn those different sounds and those muscle movements, they are not going to unlearn them. Right. And not to, um, not to discourage, but it's, it's up to six months is what the research says. Babies can hear every single sound of all the world's languages and like, they'll pay attention mm-hmm. to it, but it's only up to six months. After six months, they do start focusing on the languages that they're hearing. So a bilingual child, right, is gonna focus on the two. If it's a child in a multilingual situation, they'll focus on four or five, you know, however many it is, but they they eventually need to start tuning other ones out because if that sounds not important for them, you know, they need to, to make, room to just focus on so I mean it is it is six months is what the research says unless the research has changed since um, my studies but it's very early but you can still train your ear right like I I know it's it's not easy but it's definitely doable Um, and like you were mentioning it has to start with the ear you have to hear the two different r's or the three different l's if you want to make it you can't make it if you don't even hear it because how is your mouth going <laughs> to form where it needs to go if it doesn't even hear the difference? So it's not impossible. But yes, I think we don't put enough emphasis on we need t- teachers or an instructor or a one-on-one tutor. We need some guidance. Like I think it's very popular right now to like learn languages by yourself. And I'm all for that. I, you know, I like to do it too. I'm cheap and I <laughs> study Italian on my own. But you know, for fun, for fun. If it's a language you're trying to, you know, learn for a partner or for your family, if there's some like stronger connection, I do think it's so worth it to have that instructor, somebody that's going to, you know, correct you. It's, it's not family where they don't want to make you feel bad. (laughs) So like, they'll tell you, Hey, say this, you know, say this differently. So it's invaluable. I always tell them, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, why should I pay for classes? Why should I invest in resources? And um, I'll just teach my kids myself. I'm like, unless you are a teacher, mm. you cannot teach your kids. And even teachers don't want to teach their own kids. I was going like, to say I that. Find- mm-hmm. Or kids don't want to learn yeah. from yeah. their parents. <laughs> yeah. Even if I could exactly. teach my kids, and- they don't want to listen to me per se, because they're listening to me for every other aspect of their lives. So absolutely. Absolutely. This puts you guys like, you know, in a weird power play, mm-hmm. um, you know, we put our kids in soccer, we put our kids in piano, we yep. get them reading tutors. Why would you not invest the same resources? Just because you are a native speaker doesn't mean you have the ability to teach. Mm-hmm. Teaching itself is a skill. And then just as you know, Heather, you just said it, kids don't want to learn from their parents, 
right? Not so the same. You, I think yeah. don't damage the relationship with your child by making language a place of contention, yeah. outsource it, and then put yourself in the place of being a support. Exactly. Because it's not a- that you can't speak to them, of course. Support all that they're doing in their language class and, you know, be the support person, whether it's, you know, there's so many ways to support, whether you're the native, you're the non-native, whether you speak the language or don't, you can support it in so many ways. But yeah, if you're, if you're making it this forced thing, one of my uh, recent guests was saying, yeah, it can't be this, this power struggle and this forced, you have to do this, you're obligated to do this. That's just going to destroy the relationship. So Exactly, exactly. So please invest in tutors and other resources and put your place, put yourself either in, I am supporting your language journey or I'm studying with you. We're on this mm. language journey. And when kids see you as, oh, wait, you're a fellow classmate. Well, this is interesting. <laughs> right? It'll that be can, fun. Yeah, it, that can be fun. And they can be the one showing you, you know, maybe even purposely make a mistake and have them correct you and they'll feel good. Like, oh, I knew this thing that mommy, she didn't know this. And yeah, there's just, there's so many ways that you could make it fun. And one of my guests talked about that. There needs to be 80% fun, 20% like learning. So he's a teacher and he's trying to teach mm-hmm. his kids, um, you know, Korean and Japanese. They've got these languages that have different scripts, plus French and English. They've got lots of languages in their family, but you know, and he's very focused, um, Yoshito, if people know him, he's very focused on the literacy, being a literate in your languages, because he- um, um, Multilingual dad. Multilingual dad, yeah, and he, like, was not really literate with Japanese, and it was kind of, you know, made things harder for him, so he wants his children to speak, his, um, their parents speak Korean, and he's very focused on that, but yeah, it has to be 80% fun. You can't make it a job. You can't make it a second, like, Thing that they have to do when they're already tired after school right it needs to be fun that's his whole like you know there can be a little bit of learning happening of course you want to help them especially with languages that have a different script there's a whole other alphabet mm-hmm. that they need to learn and you know it's an added challenge but there's ways to make it fun so i just think that 80 20 balance is so important to keep in mind oh it's you know for parents i think one of the things that we highlighted here is when you when you are not the one fully responsible for teaching or developing that heritage language, this huge weight comes yeah. off your shoulder. Mm-hmm. So that's one mindset change. And the next mindset change is especially say, you know, I don't want to stereotype, but part of our South Asian culture is there's a certain way to study. Drill, 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 memorize, memorize, memorize. Mm. You guys got to change your mindset on that too. Mm-hmm. And my background is I'm a corporate trainer. Um, and so I dealt with a lot of adult learning theory. It is not any different mm-hmm. in a corporate classroom when we are, you know, teaching you what you need, your skills for the job. As soon as you gamify things, as soon as you bring in a, a little bit of competition, something silly, you know, the mood changes. Everyone's excited to learn. Everyone's mm-hmm. glad to be there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not, you know, I always say kids learn through play, but everyone learns through play. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There is a place for memorization and some drills. You know, there is a place that it is still hard work, but it doesn't have to be boring. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that you mentioned earlier that there was, like, you were talking about identity being a heritage speaker and how, you know, you're Indian when you're in America, but you're American when you're in India. You're never like fully one or the other. There was a famous Indian actor, I believe, who said, I'm not neither nor. I'm like, mm. what did he say? It was like, and, and like, I'm, 
this and this there was there was like this big thing that was maybe like two years ago on on instagram i'd have to re relook for it but he he was all about saying like it's not a like i think he was like indian british and he was like i don't need to choose which one like i don't have to be half of one i think it was not half but like mm-hmm. i'm completely this and i'm completely this like it's not i can't i'll have to i'll have to look it up but i didn't know if you knew that guy and that that quote so that he said right off the top of my okay. head but yeah i'll have to I'm look. Gonna look it up yeah he was like <laughs> he's like a famous actor and i was like oh i love that message and i you know i reposted it to my story like i do so many things that oh, i like this this is interesting but now it, it was so long ago that i don't remember exactly um he might have had like a short film where it was like mm-hmm. i'm not neither this nor that or it's something like not half this not half that i'm this and that like i'm british and i'm indian i don't have to choose right um so exactly. that was kind of interesting you don't yeah. have to choose honestly yeah. i think our identities are such a blend of many different things and there's no such thing as like 50 50 it's like when you're a mother and you have two kids you don't have half a heart for each you right. love them both that whole quote about my heart grows Mm, you know, for that I, so it it really is, you know, I coming to terms with what it means to you and acknowledging your whole self. Mm. Um, and that, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming out on Instagram where we have people talking about mixed race Mm -hmm. and it's not that I'm 50% white and 50% African-American. I'm both. Exactly. Right. And I can't turn one side off and turn the other side on. Um, like a flip of a switch. So language plays a big part of that um, mm-hmm. identity. It it goes hand in hand with not just like your skin color and your ethnicity, even, you know, how we intellectually identify, identify as a teacher, mm-hmm. um, I identify as a parent. Like all of these things build up who is Anita. Um, and you can't just turn one off at a right this way. you don't have to choose well now I'm being a mother I'm not a teacher and I'm not a wife and I'm not a bit right. like you can be all the things at the same time and, and you I- bring all the things to every experience um mm-hmm. that you have um you know earlier you were talking about that diagram of the cone and um, mm-hmm. I had created something similar to that but it's more of a pyramid but my <laughs> my perspective was it wasn't about information and the ability to speak. Um, it was really about the numbers of bilinguals and balanced bilinguals and how does it, how do you become a balanced bilingual? And what I presented to parents is, you know, that idea, this ideal you have on the pedestal is this C2 balanced bilingual. Mm-hmm. It is the very tip of the pyramid. Not many people achieve that. Exactly. The rest of us are down here at that first you know, the first floor of the pyramid, which is all of us A1s. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, you want to get to that A2, B1, B2 level, right? That's kind of the middle of the pyramid, but understand it, mm-hmm. it gets harder and harder. And the number of people who have that level of fluency is less and less. And it's so, not going to happen if the parents aren't supporting. Like, it's, I'm sorry to say it, right? Like, this is a parent, this is a parenting podcast about raising bilingual kids, but like, you cannot expect signing your kids up for Saturday school or marrying somebody that speaks, you know, X language, Russian. Like they're not just going to automatically be Russian speakers because you married someone who speaks that language. Like there is so much work that goes behind it. 
So you can't just okay. oh, I'm uh, Maliam, so my kids are going to grow up and be bilingual. No, it's that there's so much work that's going to happen. It's and they, not, they may not in our DNA. It's not an inherited trait. Exactly. Over <laughs> your hair. It literally right. is something we all have to work it's a on. Skill, but it and it's learnable. That's why people who aren't of that heritage can still learn it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to take time, effort, possibly money, right. If you're going to invest well, actually, 100% it's going to take money because it's almost impossible to not spend money on, let's say, a tutor or books or streaming services or something that's going to give them more a trip. <laughs> you know, there's. I can just think everything that's going to help your kid is going to come with some cost because raising kids costs money, first of all. Yeah, but, and then we're know, talking about languages that are not heavily resourced. You'll mm-hmm. have to spend even money. Exactly. Um, I mean, I can tell you what we do in our house. Um, mm-hmm. We uh, every week we watch movies, we listen to music. Uh, we have, you know, our standard phrases around the home that we only say in Tamil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they always hear their dad on the phone talking multiple languages to different people, so they're hearing it. We also changed our um, smart devices, the voice of our smart devices to have an Indian English accent. Nice. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, we're like, Alexa, do this. Anita, today, this is your blah, blah, blah. You know, and just the beautiful pronunciation. So that's another way for us to hear that those sounds mm-hmm. again, and that language and normalize that voice and normalize mm-hmm. Indian English. Because that, we can't. That's great. Mm-hmm. Along we are going to go uh, this summer for a month. Um, and of course, what happens when you go overseas? Everyone wants to speak English with you. It's their opportunity to practice English. Of course, right. <laughs> um, and we are actually enrolling our kids in a class for the very first time. And my kids are much older. You know, my daughter just turned nine and my son is mm. 11. We held off on formal classes for them for a long time. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason was one, it was far away from us there are actually three Tamil schools in the northern Virginia area wow. but they are about our drive that would take most of our day but I will add that my son has learning disabilities mm-hmm. um and I did not think that those classrooms were inclusive for people like him mm-hmm. and I want him to hate the language because yeah. if you imprint that at a young age oh my god I hate this language the teacher was the worst mm-hmm. I didn't learn anything I struggled so much they're gonna think I can't learn right it's so gonna be we, so much harder to break that once that's been them a lot and that was why I actually started Basha Kids because I, I just wanted to make materials to help him learn mm-hmm. and keep him conversant and keep exposing them and the you know one of your questions was the proudest bilingual moment it actually mm-hmm. happened just on friday oh wow where um fresh we, off we the press with this uh teacher we were doing a demo class and she i told them ahead of time like you know they're not completely beginners you know they're not coming from a blank slate they have stuff mm-hmm. oh my gosh they were able to answer every question she asked she's like mm-hmm. i'm going to teach you the numbers hold on, we're going to count for you, right? Like she couldn't teach them anything in that first class because they already knew so much. And then she stopped and she was like, listen to how you say that word. You don't sound like an American saying that. 
you Aww. sound like a chameleon saying that. And I was like, I was behind the, the computer, but I was like jumping up and down. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's and of wonderful. course then, like, hey, it was me. I, I felt like it. Oh my gosh. You're like, what, where's but, my credit? Hello. Yeah, but it, it was so great that just, you know, you, you need, you need a win. Right. You put in all this effort, you need a win. And for this lady who is sitting in Chennai, you know, the capital of Tamil Nadu and mm-hmm. saying, you have a chameleon accent Aww. and I never encounter students like this. I, I was so gratified That's that, amazing. you know, I was like, oh, everything worked. Like it, yeah. it was not all not. Um, and then just going back to that proud parenting moment, another mm-hmm. one was that hard retroflex sound so when you spell tamil you always see it as t-a-m-i-l mm-hmm. it's not an like la 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 it's retroflex l so you will sometimes see it as t-a-m-i-z-h oh z-h not tamiz it's tamir. and it's where you take your your mm-hmm. tongue back from your teeth back up mm-hmm. to your throat without touching the roof of your mouth Mama. and i only my daughter is the one who taught me to say it because okay. I was working with her. I was presenting her, you know, logically, this is how it works. It sounds like story or American, like the mm-hmm. in American, how your tongue goes back a little mm-hmm. bit. So she kept doing it and she's like, oh, here's the sound. She said it and made such a pure sound. I swear, Heather, it was the first time I ever heard it. Wow. Like, oh, that's what it there like, it is Bing. Oh. <laughs> so literally guys my daughter taught me <laughs> a sound in Tamil and so you can reinforce each other and be mm. open to that yeah open to beautiful. your kids working with you and teaching you um and take that weight off your shoulders remember and remind your kids that language is a lifetime journey mm-hmm. it's not something that you're going to check off the box and I'm done never you know? yeah. It's so true. I still, I still learn words in English when I'm reading a novel. I'm like, oh, that's a weird word. What is that? You know, it's just not a word I use in my everyday language, which is that point of that C2, right? Is that really high advanced vocabulary that you don't need to live. Nobody needs these high advanced words, but they're there. They exist. And, you know, (laughs) very well educated, you know, raised and always living in America for like three years in France. But yeah, I still am learning English. So it's never ending. <laughs> and of course, all the other languages and things. But um, so I just have a quick question, because you said you and your husband didn't share any language, but English. So have you learned Tamil? Or like, it wasn't one of your original four or five? It's a great question. And this is a common misconception. Everyone's like, oh, if you know Malayalam, you can learn Tamil. If you know Tamil, you can learn Malayalam. And it's like, they're similar, but it's the difference. I like to say it's like Spanish and Portuguese. There's mm-hmm. a lot of similarities. There's okay. significant differences as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we decided, okay, we're going to focus on Tamil for the kids and not Malayalam, you know, being that my husband was the native speaker, I just assumed, well, hey, it's not that different. I'll get it. Big mm-hmm. deal. And I'm like, wait, what are you saying? And I would take a Sharpie and would have their board books and I would write the the Tamil in English, uh-huh. right? The transliteration in their book so I could read along with them. And I was like, wow, that is not the word I use. Right. <laughs> and there are certain, certain syllables, like 
ba and pa are switched. So ba in Tamil is pa in Malayalam. And oh, guys, no. don't come after me. Said it wrong. It's but the i the idea is that yes, that there are syllables that are absolutely switched. So, for example, the word for red in Tamil is sevapa, and the word for red in Malayalam is chuvapa. So, right. So it's you know, similar, like, but it's not. It's not a given. And actually, I think it's so interesting. It's, I saw a post recently about the comprehensibility. So, like, how much Spanish can a Portuguese person understand? you know, or a French person, you know, with the, with the romance languages. And it was, it was higher for Portuguese speakers can understand like 70, I think it was like 78% of Spanish, but a Spanish speaker can't understand as much Portuguese. Like it doesn't go both ways. And I've seen this with um, Slavic languages as well. They compare how much, you know, Polish can a Ukrainian understand versus a Ukrainian understanding Polish. And it doesn't, it's not equal. It's not that one is 45 and the other one's 45. It's usually one is like, 50 60 and the other is only like 20 <laughs> so it's really interesting how it can go not the same way like maybe a tamil speaker understands more malayalam versus the malayalam tamil. i don't Actually, know that is exactly it i think that um so tamil is one of the world's oldest living languages it's five thousand years old and malayalam when you look at the is it the etymology of the right word but the going mm -hmm. back into history and yeah where did malayalam yeah, come from it's mm -hmm. from tamil um, and it was called Old Tamil. So it definitely came, they had similar origins. It branched off mm. and it became a little bit more Sanskritized. And that's one of the biggest differences between these, what I call the Dravidian languages. There's like the four languages in South India. Mm -hmm. Why people from North India can't understand them at all. They struggle. It's because the North Indian languages are derived from Sanskrit. And the South Indian languages are not wholly derived from Sanskrit. They're also derived from Pali. Uh, when you go back to those early, early, early roots. Mm -hmm. And so Malayalam has a bit more Sanskrit to it. Um, I will say, you know, at home, so we're teaching Tamil. Um, I, you know, I will always give Malayalam for comparison, but I'm not holding on to it as the language they need to speak. But I also work with them with Spanish mm -hmm. at home. So we have books in Spanish and when we walk to school, I'm either talking to them in Tamil or, or in Spanish, you know, mm -hmm. like you take the little moments that you can yeah, get. Right. Um, and then I made little flashcards for my kids and we put it up all around the house. You know, your, your language learning technique, right? Yep. Yep. And discovered the, the word. Yes. So like, here's the door, puerta, right? As you said, mm -hmm. well, guess what is the, the word for table in Spanish and Tamil and Malayalam? It's all mesa, mesh, mesha. Wow. They are all the same. Oh, that's so interesting. And that's because all the way back in history, it comes from that Proto-Indo-European, right? That we wow. all came from stuff from the same base. Wow. At some point, all of our languages totally change and develop, but you can mm -hmm. go back and find exactly the same word. That's and it's so not because that, that word was brought from the Portuguese or you know, whatever it is. It's like, wow, that word is actually the same. Even farther back than that. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> I had no yeah. idea there was a connection between these languages. So that's really cool to hear. Okay. Can you teach us uh, either a word or an expression in, well, I guess Tamil or Malayalam, your choice. Yeah. And you were asking, I am learning. I'm learning with the mm. kids. So, you know, we sit down, they think mommy is um, 
a straight A student because I'm always like, no, this is the way we need to study, guys. So I am learning and it's hard. It's so hard for me because even the conjugation is different. Right. You know, in Malayalam, everything you end with ana and it's it's subject, object, verb. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't really have to conjugate a lot of sentences in Malayalam. It's like, it's it's not yo soy tu eres. It's, you know, mm-hmm. ana, 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 ana. It's the same. Oh, and, and I can't like get English, it. like I eat. Yeah, I am. Eat, we eat. They eat. Eat, eat, eat. They eat. Yes, <laughs> I'll eat. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, some of you do conjugate every verb, and I'm like, oh, that's why it's hard for me. But mm. going back to what can I? Do, I'm going to teach you guys two phrases, okay? Um, any South Indian, it doesn't matter what language they speak, but you are going to hear this phrase, and um, it's. It can mean so many different things. It's one of those phrases that it can mean like, oh my God, or, oh no, or that's awesome. <laughs> right. So it's like the whole gamut stuff. of emotions, but there's an emotion. Yeah, there. <laughs> it just is on the tone that you're using. It's not necessarily bad or good, mm. um, but the very simple, it's two syllables. I, yo, I, yo, I, yo. And you'll hear this in Korean. It's a very similar word in Korean. Mm. But I dropped something before. Ayo. You know, I want a prize. Ayo. <laughs> so, ayo. It's a great exclamation um, that fun. you'll hear about India. It's fun. I like that And one. then I want to teach you, like, how do we say goodbye? We don't necessarily say goodbye, but just like in Spanish, they ask luego. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see you later. Pinna kanam. Pinna mm-hmm. is then. Mm-hmm. And. Kanam, actually, kana is your eyes. I oh. will pinna kana. I will see you later. <laughs> mm. It's like later. See. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, that's cool. It's kind of like nos vemos in Spanish. We will see each yeah, other. Yeah, nos vemos is exactly. Vemos. Nos vemos. exactly. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you and I could talk for like five more hours. <laughs> no, go for it. Teach us another one. But oh, um. Kandatil Sandosham. I just learned this one myself. This is Malayalam and Pinakanam mm-hmm. um, is also Malayalam, but Kandatil Sandosham, you've heard, you might have heard a word you heard that I already said. Kandatil um, Sandosham means in seeing you, mm-hmm. I have happiness. Oh. I'm like, beautiful phrase, right? That's a, yeah, um, that's a nice one. A bit more formal, but it is, it's a wonderful way to greet each other. I was going to say, and it's a nice motion. way to, when you see someone for the first time again, like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I'm so happy to see you. Um, mm-hmm. And if you know someone whose name is San, Santosh or Sandosh, now you know his name means happiness. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm happy. Yes, that makes sense. I've seen that word. I don't know where it was, like a yoga studio or something. <laughs> Yeah, but that makes that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Where can we find out more about? I'm gonna mispronounce it as well. Basha kids. That's how I say it. Okay, um, cool. So, Basha is B H A S H A K I D S. You can we have a website bashakids.com, and we're very active on Instagram and we're on Facebook. And so we have bilingual materials for kids in Hindi, Tamil, and Malayalam as well as bilingual books. I'm working with a lot of um, self-published authors who are coming up with new resources every day in South Asian Kid Lit, and we're trying to get them on our website, but you'll see me promoting a lot of books about language and culture. Mm-hmm. And this summer, 
Um, I'm excited. It's finally happening. I am expanding my product line uh, mm -hmm. to include um, vocabulary words and animals. So we already have numbers, body parts, and mm -hmm. colors. We're going to go to animals, but we're also expanding our languages. So we will have products in Gujarati, Marathi, Telugu. Um, am I forgetting? We're also going to have Canada, mm -hmm. Punjabi, and Bangla come out later this year as well. That's huge. Um, so oh my gosh. I'm really excited. Uh, so these are, you know, you can use them in the classroom. Several language schools across the U.S. are already using them as part of their curriculum. Mm -hmm. They're great for homeschooling. They're great for just studying on your own. They're, the new version, our Basha Kids 2.0, is going to include the script um, at the back so that you can look at, oh, what are those sounds? Oh, this is the letter she's talking about, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. Incorporated literacy, whereas our first version did not have the script at all. Um, but I am on to give homage to this to the script. Um, and we have parent coaching and webinars. Um, we'll have a couple webinars coming up in June mm -hmm. uh, for how to use cards as well as just, you know, what are you going to do over the summer? How do you promote language learning uh, yes. over the summer? Yes. Uh, so that is it. Again, I'm Anita and I am the founder of Basha Kids and I love language. I want everyone to not give up on their heritage languages. Yes, that's such an important message. And it's never too late, right? We have those adults that are repeat, you know, going back to their heritage language. And, you know, Basha kids, we're all kids at heart, right? So even if you're now 40, 60, <laughs> you could still enjoy these materials. Or if you're, you know, dating or married to someone, it doesn't, it, it's for kids, but not only, <laughs> right? And I use kids exactly. materials with my, students I'm gonna be teaching Polish soon and we read kid books and it's all adults but we read through kids books because they're fun and uh you know a little bit simpler than picking up a novel and saying we're gonna Absolutely. read this book you're right that's not attainable mm -hmm. no if you're a beginning language learner absolutely pick up children's books and children's bilingual books because it will make so much sense to you sentence structure is simple and of course, the pictures are fun and the stories. The pictures are help and they help you understand for sure. Actual learning is so important in learning a language. So do invest in children's books and um, bilingual 100%. literature if you can. Yes, 100%. And we will, um, I always say, but I'll say it again, I will include links to all of the things that Anita has mentioned so that it's easy for listeners to just go to the show notes and find everything and you know, when I post about it on the website and all the places on Instagram, it'll be linked up so you guys can find her easily. Although she's pretty easily easy to find. <laughs> well, thank, thank you. you it was such a pleasure to talk with you. And yes, I mean, we could stay here and talk about languages and all the, the good linguistic stuff that uh, yeah. we could do, but I have to go teach my class. So <laughs> gonna yeah, have to cut it off. Me too. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, Merci. keep up all the good work. <laughs> no, thank you. I wish actually, how do I say thank you in, in Malayalam or Tamil? In uh, Tamil, it's Nandri. Nandri. That's that the at the top of your palette. And in Malayalam, it's ni. It's that ni with the like like your knee. Uh-huh. Um it's not the and at the your dental end, it's the back of the palate end. Nani. Nani. Mm. You got it. <laughs> Tried. Yeah. Well, it helps that I know what, what my palate is and I've done the linguistic. 
<laughs> Otherwise, if you don't know what the palate, the roof of your mouth. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, well, thank you. It was really such a pleasure. And uh, yes, we'll be, you know, sharing all the links and things so people can find you and just check it out. If you've never heard of these languages, go see what they look like. Go check them out because I know it was eye opening for me to be like, whoa, you know, we, we, like I said, we hear of Hindi and that's about as far as we get. So India is so, so, so rich, you know, linguistically that there's just, even just to look and just enjoy the scripts. I find it just so beautiful and fascinating. So delve into it a little bit. You got, everybody's got Google, go look at it. <laughs> Everyone's welcome. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> You're all welcome to check it out. All right. Well, thank you. Take care. Thank you, Heather.